theyeshiva.net. What did we learn last time? We learned a fascinating example of the concept of metaphors and parables. The main point of last class was, the Gemara says in Sukkah, that sichas chulen shal limut. Even the mundane, matter-of-fact, simple conversations of a Talmud Chacham require learning. The Zaya says that Rabbi Sava, the great sage Rabbi would communicate Pirke de Shtusa. It literally means chapters of folly to his students before he would learn. The Gemara says in, Psach, in, in Shabbos that Rabbi would say a joke before the Shia. And the Tzmachzadik explains it doesn't mean Rabbi Amnunah Sava would say foolish things. It doesn't mean Rava would just say foolish jokes. But because these are people who were saturated with Torah, so then even those things that sounded anecdotal or humorous, or mundane, Tzrichem Limud, there was so much depth in it. Because these jokes or these types of conversations, Sichas Chulun, represents the overflow of their cerebral power. It represents Maisri Maichin. When somebody is really entrenched in true wisdom and authentic wisdom, even things that come out, as a matter of fact, they don't convey the full depth of the person's mind and the person's heart and the person's soul. There's so much to learn in them. Because even in the leftovers, the residue, if you want to give a very simple <laughs> and maybe a little bit of a foolish example, but maybe it works. And that is, you know, sometimes you go to a wedding and the schmogas board is so, so filled with so many foods, so many dishes, excessively. And the richness and the quantity and the quality is so superior. So one would say, even that which they're throwing out could feed a nation. You know, sometimes I once went to a program and I told the director, I said, you know, with the food that you throw out from this program, you could feed so many hungry families. And to his credit, he created a program where all the leftovers from the program gets distributed to people in need. Sometimes you come to an event and there's so little food that people are fighting over the food. (laughs) What's going to be left over is going to be garnished, a few crumbs. If you go to the garbage, it's going to be a few crumbs. Nobody's going to want it. When you have somebody who's filled with toichen, filled with pnimius, filled with divine energy, a real Talmud Chacham, so that even the leftovers, the moistre moichen, is also so rich. That somebody else, when they make jokes, there's not really nothing to hear. Narishkaita means uh, it's foolish. Sichas cholun shel tamid chachamim tzricha limud. He says other people. It's dvar betelim. It's dvar betelim, and it's true. If, if you've ever seen a real Talmud chacham or heard a real Talmud, you know that the sichas cholun, the sichas cholun is tzricha limud. Yeah, to give an example, the Lubavitcher Rebbe would stand and give dollars on Sundays. Some of you have been there. And thousands and thousands of people would come by. Thousands. Men and women and children, secular Jews, religious Jews, Hasidim, Litvish modern Jews, Orthodox, 
all all forms. You had often non-Jews coming, the non-Jews coming. You had politicians, and you had celebrities, and you had writers and journalists, all types. I remember, yeah. yeah. You were in front of Bob Dylan, he came for dollars, yeah. Bob Dylan would sometimes come Shabbos too, come to Fabreng. And the Rebbe would often quip, the Rebbe would often communicate with people humorously. It would seem like, you know, he's saying a quip, a cute vart. But today you look at it, if you look at a video or you hear what the people repeat, or I saw, I saw, I saw it many times myself. It's tzrichelimud, every word, every word there was, was, was full of kedusha and full of love and full of godliness. It looks like Sikha Schulen. He's not saying a maime, he's not saying a sikh, he's not writing his Kiddusha Torah. It's conversations you have, and it's a conversation of a few seconds. Tzrich Halimud. McKenna's learning and learning and learning. Another person, their mundane conversations, So Machtedek went one step further, and he said, this is the concept of here. When we speak about here, here represents the overflow from the brain. So when you're talking about, we now go back to the theme of the mind. When you're talking about Atika Kadisha, I don't know if you remember, go back to the previous classes, it's important to get the whole picture. When you're talking about Atika Kadisha, so then the here is not just leftovers that don't have much. The here actually contains a very intense level of energy because even the filters and the instruments that condense the energy will still communicate a very powerful form of energy. Why then did he ask? Do we say that the flow of Atika Kadisha is through here? I understand that here also has it, but why does it come precisely through here? A regular Talmud Chachim is not going to say, a whole day I'm going to say jokes. You say a joke. It's not a whole day. By Atik, which is Kesa, which is the deepest divine revelation, it comes through here. For this, the Tzemach Tzedek said, I'm going to explain this through a parable. And the parable is going to be a parable. We're going to use a parable to explain the parable for here. And what's the parable? That Shleima Melech it says, used to communicate through 3,000 Mishalim, 3,000 metaphors. Kings 1, chapter 5, Malachi Malach Pedeke. Reb Meir, it says in Sanhedrin, would, gave 300 parables. And when he died, Why? When Reb Meir died, there was nobody to give parables. Why? There's two types of Mashalim. There's a parable, I want to tell a story. I want to tell a metaphor, I want to give an allegory. That's not the point here. The point here is something more profound. Shleim Melech and Reb Meir, their wisdom was so profound in order to be able to communicate it, it needed to be dressed up and camouflaged by a parable. And that's what a real marshal is. Last night in our, in our shir was a classic example for this. The Mishnah at the end of Kinnim, Rabbi Yeshua says, Zehu Shamru, when a ram is alive, it has one sound. Meh. When it dies, it suddenly has seven sounds because the two horns are turned into two trumpets and the skin is turned into a drum and the intestines are turned into strings for a lyre 
and the large intestines are turned into uh, strings for a harp, and the two thigh bones are turned into flutes. So from one sound, you have seven, because the organs of the Lareb become musical instruments. That's what the Yeshua says. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, a, a parable is trying to explain something. What profound wisdom do we gain through this metaphor with the dead sheep, with the dead ram versus the living ram? And the commentators struggle with this. And they say it's just some comparison to what the Mishnah says earlier about the birds that a woman who gave birth brings. And sometimes there's a confusion. And first she had to bring four birds. And she ends up has to bring seven birds. It's like the sheep, the ram after it dies. There's more sounds. He says, what, what explanation does it really give? And throughout the Siyum he shows how there is a profound halachic enigma within the carbon letters, within the offering of a woman who has to give birth. And there's a profound enigma in Jewish history because Adrian, the emperor of Rome, asks Rabbi Yeshua, it says in Medrash, how does the Jew, how did the Jewish people live? It's a little sheep surrounded by 70 wolves. And Rabbi Yeshua speaks about the shepherd that protects it. And it's this ram, this sheep that he's addressing. And he shows how the parable of the sheep explains and enlightens us to a very profound idea in halacha about how something that is born in doubt can become more powerful than the source and the progenitor that brought it into being. Like the live sheep has one sound, live ram has one sound, and after the death, (coughs) through its deterioration, it grows much stronger. Whenever there's a mushal, whenever there's a story, an allegory, a metaphor, a parable in Torah, it's in order to explain a profound idea that couldn't be explained without it. You know, you'll see it with a lot of children's books. You want to bring out something very psychological and very deep. You ever read the book, Who Moved the Cheese? Who Moved My Cheese? (laughs) Who Moved My Cheese, right? All these types of stories, they're really making very significant points about life. But if you just say the point, most people won't retain it or won't listen or won't internalize it or won't get it. So the marshal brings it down a notch so that somebody from a different world should be able to really perceive the wisdom in a very concretized fashion. But the Rebbe says, for Shleima HaMelech, one parable wasn't enough. He needed a parable for the parable and a parable for the parable, parable all the way till parable 3000. And then from 3,000, you can trace it back to 2,999, 2,998, 2,997, all the way back to metaphor number one and then to the idea. Reb Meir needed 300. And now we continue inside. Eight lines from the top, 2,10, the line starts, The marshal relative to the nimshal. Marshal is the parable. The nimshal is the theme that you want to convey through the parable. The marshal relative to the nimshal is like a thick garment, a dense garment, meaning it eclipses the nimshal. Sometimes you give a marshal and people don't even understand the nimshal. They only got the story. They didn't get what's inside the story because it's like a thick cloak that eclipses the message. And this is a metaphor for the here. The here that comes from the follicle. There is some emptiness 
in the here, the Gemara tells us in Nazir page 39 and the first page of Abbasar about Eiv. That when talking about Eiv, that the Saira, the here, has this uh, emptiness inside of it, this hollowness, obviously infinitesimal, so small, and it receives nurture from the brain. That's why hair grows, just like nails grow. Yes, there are no nerves nerves in the hair, and that's why we can cut the hair without pain, not like cutting other parts of the body. So it's a condensed form of energy, but it dresses up some energy that comes from the brain through the skull and goes into the hair. And that's why a parable is called the overflow of one's brain, the residue the relationship of a mushal to a nimshal is like the relationship from here to a brain. The here also captures the energy of the brain. Here is alive when it's attached. But nonetheless, the energy is so condensed, it's so filtered. That's like the mushal. The mushal receives its identity, its wisdom from the nimshal. It grows out of the nimshal. But you can't compare it to the brain. You can't compare it to the theme itself because it brings it down to a whole different level. It brings it down to a very concrete, mundane, and brute level. It's like a thick garment. By great sages like Shleimer Rebmeir and similar personalities, even the parables, even the metaphors, even the overflow of their cerebral power has tremendous benefit and has profound holiness and has intense wisdom. To the contrary, it's not they also have wisdom. They are indispensable. Without all of these garments, without all of these without all of these masks, without all of these mishalim of dressing up the idea, they would not be able to communicate their soul to other people. The Gemara says in Erevin about Reb Meir, Daf Yud Gimel, that the reason that Allah is not like Reb Meir is even though his name was Meir, and Meir is Meir Enei Chachamim Bahalacha. He illuminated the eyes of the sages in Allah, but La Yardu Chachamim Lamad Al Saif The sages of his time could not comprehend the ultimate depth of his wisdom. They didn't understand him, and therefore they couldn't do the Halacha like him because they didn't understand him. So he says, if Reb Meir wouldn't give us 300 parables to convey his wisdom through one parable, and the parable still needed another one, and that needed another one. In other words, every parable needed a parable. It was so deep, and that parable also needed a parable. Now, it's fascinating. How, do you, how is it possible that you have to bring down an idea 300 levels, even if it's a deep idea? How is it possible that there's an idea that you have to bring down 3,000 levels? Good question. Good question, but this only shows us how real wisdom works. Real wisdom, there's a level, and the same idea can be traced back to yet a more abstract state of consciousness and awareness, which can be traced back to yet a more transcendent state of consciousness, back all the way to the beginning, because the beginning is infinity. And infinity you're not going to contain in the brain. That's why it says that Torah is called Meshal HaKadmoini. 
the ultimate marshal. So the Alter Rebbe says in Torah Ur, in the Maimar Chayev Inish Lubesumah Bepuraya, in Torah Ur, Megillah Sester, we learned it. You have it on the web, on the yeshiva.net. The Alter Rebbe says that Torah is a marshal for Kadmoinoy Shal Olam, for Eitzayf. All of Torah captures infinity through a marshal. Everything in Torah. You could be learning about Muktza. You could be learning about the carbonus that a woman who gave birth has to bring. You could learn about the carbonus of Azov. You could learn about the symptoms of Tzoraz. You could learn about Hilchus Bayri. You could learn about laws of not paying interest. You could, lo- you could learn about the laws of my animal goring your animal. It's all a marshal ultimately for Einsef. However, when you're talking about sages who are, who are of a lower stature, at least relative to Shloim and Reb Meir, they couldn't give such types of parables. <laughs> Their parables were just for entertainment purposes. <laughs> like the Gemara says in Saita, the Mishnah of the Gemara says in Saita, when Reb Meir passed away, the phenomenon of those who can car, who can weave parables and communicate them is finished. Why? Nobody gives metaphors anymore. Nobody tells stories anymore. Why you insult all these people? He says, no, it's not an insult. It's just an understanding what the marshal is. You have to know what to expect from the marshal. Their wisdom is on a small, on a lower level, relatively. <laughs> Not to insult anybody, but they can convey the idea without parables, without examples. The idea itself can be communicated. So the real art of Reb Meir to weave together parables is not necessary. You may need it because people are bored, or people are lonely, or people want to laugh or people are entertained. But in terms of the idea itself, you don't need that marshal. The idea is palpable enough. It's already on a lower degree, on a lower level. <laughs> Sharp words of the Tzemach Tzedek. If they, go, if they want to create mashalim for their words, they want to create parables, it's ultimately Dvarim Betelem. It's wasted words, because there's no need. There's no need. <laughs> You know the story, it's an old joke. There was once a professor who worshipped himself more than anybody else, and he worshipped himself more than anybody else worshipped him. He thought he was the most brilliant man on the planet. Anyway, he was at a scientific conference, and this professor was going up to the podium to speak. And the person organizing the conference, as the professor was walking up, he says, Remember, remember, you have 12 minutes not a second more, 12 minutes, you know, people could speak for an hour, two hours, three hours, hijack the conference, you have 12 minutes, not a minute more, and the professor in disdain and scorn looks at this man, and he says, what do you expect me to say in 12 minutes? The man looks at him, and he says calmly, speak very slowly. So, in, (laughs) in other words, I know the worst thing is to explain a joke. But he's, what am I going to say in 12 minutes, you know? I have to speak for at least 12 hours. And the person says, well, do you even have anything to fill up 12 minutes with? Just speak slowly. If you speak slowly, you'll be able to fill up 12 minutes. So you always have to know, <laughs> 
He says, sometimes your marshal it's unnecessary. It's for him, it's not a shtus. It's a shtus. Obviously, he's, he's judging things here on a very high standard. <laughs> because we tell stories, and we tell jokes, and we give parables, right? Look who's talking. But you have to really understand the MS. The MS is that Mishamais Reb Meir Batlu Moshlu Mishalom. The Mishalom, okay, there's, I guess, entertainment purposes in them. So in that sense, it could be productive. But the point is, the real concept of Moshlu Mishalom, the way Reb Meir personified it, the way Shlomo Melech personified it, it's Meir, so it's gone. Because the level of wisdom that's being communicated is not so infinitely abstract and transcendent that we need it. So then it just becomes waste, a waste. Because here's the principle. When something is unnecessary, then, as we say in halacha, kol yeter kinatal dami. Right? Anything that's extra, it's like missing. It's not just you add something else to a speech. Why not? No, no. If you add something that's unnecessary, it's like you take away something that's necessary. It's a beautiful formulation in halacha. It's good to remember. Kol yeter kinatul dami. We have it in Hilchas Trefus. When you add something that's not necessary, it's like taking away something that's necessary. And I'll just give you an example for those who speak or teach. When you're giving a speech, sometimes people feel they have to put in more, 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 more. As my wife always tells me, less is more. <laughs> less is more. More is less. Meaning, sometimes you add things, you add things. If it doesn't really belong there, it's dvarim betalim, it's shtusim. Maybe in another context it's fine. But here, if it's unnecessary, it's not refined. If it's not refined, you don't need it. It's like a symphony. It's like a niggin, yeah? The musicians are playing a beautiful ballad, a beautiful symphony. And then they decide, you know what? Let the, let the music, let the song not end. Let's go, let's go on. It's called you're now taking away from it. The beauty is, this is the song. The song has a beginning. The song has a middle. The song has an end. You don't just add things. The same is true with communication. Let me put in something else. If it's not really necessary, as they used to say, what's a speech? Get up. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Then tell them. Then tell them what you told them and sit down. And if I do anything else, it's called shtusim. It's dvarim betelem. Okay, so now. Now that Tzamach Tzedek finished his metaphor. His metaphor was about a metaphor, right? That's, uh, that's the, the broody here. The metaphor that the Tzamach Tzedek has been explaining is a metaphor about a metaphor. He's using the concept of a metaphor as a metaphor to explain the contrast between Atika Kadisha and Malchus. In the spheres of Hashem, the ten spheres, the highest is Atik, that's called Keser, the crown. The subconscious, the superconscious, it's called Atik. And the lowest of the ten is called Malchus. Malchus is that energy which actually becomes condensed and vivifies all of the world. It's called Malchus. Malchus is the actualization of the divine energy to vivify and animate and create and sustain all of existence. That's called Malchus. It's also associated with Nukva, with femininity. So the Tzemach Tzedek now says, this will give us a perspective for the spiritual realities. The flow of energy from Atik 
from God's infinity cannot be absorbed in the world, not even in Atsilas. Why? Because they will all cease to exist. They will all experience Bittal B'Metziyas. Why? Because in the presence of Ein Saif, if all the doors of, if the doors of perceptions are cleansed, if the doors of perception are cleansed and everything appears as is infinite, there's no room for otherness. So even the highest state of consciousness, known as Atsilas, the highest world, cannot exist in its present form if there's a flow from Atika Kadisha from Ein Saif, because in the presence and the revelation of infinity, there's no room for anything outside of infinity. Everything melts away in the presence of infinity. There's no separateness. There's no I. Even the most sophisticated spiritual I, even the most divine spiritual levels outside of Ein Saif will cease to be separate. They will become completely subsumed. So you must have garments. They're called hairs, Cyrus. Cyrus is the Kabbalistic metaphor for dressing up, condensing, filtering, restricting, contracting the energy of Ein Saif of Atik to be able to be communicated. And he gives a, a, a a maramakam here, a footnote. You could look in the Siddur, that's the Siddur that was written by the Mittal Rebbe. It's a commentary on davening by the Alter Rebbe. From the Maimorim, the Alter Rebbe said on davening, on this piece in Baruch Shamar. as it's known in Kabbalah, Sha'aba ve'ima yoinkim mimazal is the Keser. Abba and Ima is father and mother which is a metaphor for Chachma and Bina of Atzillus, they get their nurture from the Mazolis, from the energies of Keser of Atik, through here. Masha'en, here as in, here as in Cyrus, this, this, this here. Masha'en, but once the divine energy is already shrinked, it's already condensed. It went into what we call the femininity of Ze'er Ampen. Ze'er Ampen are the six midos. Chesed, Gvur, Tiferes, Netzachad, you said it's called Ze'er Ampen. Ze'er Ampen means the small face. In contrast to Arach Ampen, which is the long face. And basically, very briefly, just in a few seconds, the difference is Arach Ampen are your emotions the way they are in their primal state. They're very intense. That's called arichampin, the long face. Ze'erampin are the way those primal emotions are manifested in our conscious emotions. That's called ze'erampin. It's a small face. Because whatever comes out consciously is just a very miniature reflection of that which is happening subconsciously. Nukva is the femininity, the femininity that receives from those emotions and that is responsible for the actualized life that a person lives. So one's the light of Atik gets condensed in the level of Nukva, now the ray that comes from it, the ray that comes through it, in terms of Noivlas, that which is an overflow, you cannot compare to the overflow of Atik Kadish. And from here there can be a nurture, Yenike of Chitzayinim, the superficial forces can receive their nurture from it. As the light continues to condense and diminish, from the here, 
of that light from the noivlois. Noivlois are like the leaves that fall off the tree. The noivl, there can be the possibility for external forces to hold on and hold on in a very intense way. And that's why the Levim in the desert were commanded to shave off all the hair on their flesh, their beard, the hair on their scalp, the hair on their head, and anywhere else on their body. Why? Listen to this. The path of the Levim is Hislavos, fire. Their soul was always looking to depart from the container, from the vessel. Every day the Levim would hold a concerto in the Mishkan. There were vocalists and there were musicians and they would sing the Shir Shalyayim. They would do this while they were pouring the wine. The Kayan was pouring the wine on the Mizbeach following the carbon in the morning. And they would have this concert of music, which is a form of ecstasy. Their soul was yearning and pining to go up in the fire of divinity and depart from the Keli. And since their Avedas Hashem is primarily departing from the vessels, so the light that remains in their vessels is very limited. Because their primary ur goes away from the keli. That's the personality of the levi. That's the levi. So if the flow from the levium will come from the residue of the light that remained in the keli, it's so condensed, it's so limited, the chitzayinim, the external forces, could get their nurture. So that's why the levi had to shave off his hair. Because from the hair of the levi comes yenikas achitzayinim. This is only in the desert. Afterwards, it was already was not that state of consciousness, even though the levim always represent the kloisa nefesh. But you didn't have that level of intensity that you had in the Midbar under the tutelage of Moshe and Aaron and the clouds of glory and Vashachanti B'Soycham, the Rebbeinu Shalaylam dwelling with the Jewish people in the desert. The Kayanim are very different. The Kayanim didn't have to shave their hair because the Kayanim's avoid is very different. Like we say in Tehillim, uh, the, 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 the <coughs> And Tehillim was yesterday's yesterday's Yom of the Skan Aaron, the long beard of Aaron. What what does this mean? There's two types of souls. There are souls that know how to come down into Kalim, and there are souls that run away from Kalim. The Levim were spiritual artists. They were spiritual musicians. They were also physical. They were also musicians. They were spiritual musicians. Their soul was going away from the Kali. What's left in the Kali? Very, very little oyer, because their oyer is about running away, ascending. Like Nadav and Aviyu ultimately died in the fire. Nadav and Aviyu were kayanim, it was wrong for them to do. The Leviim every day, their Avaidas Hashem was about the fire and the passion that consumes you and it consumes your soul. It's always ascending, it's escaping the containers. Now that's amazing. It's amazing for the part of you that transcends containers, but it's painful for those who need to receive nurture from containers. Right? So to give, to give again a very, very simple example, just a very simple example. There's no communication like the communication of music, right? The, the sound of music, the energy of music. But now I want to ask you a question. What if a poor child 
needs a piece of bread to sustain himself. How does he communicate that through music? <laughs> and how do you communicate it back through music? Here you have to talk about the bread. You have to bring it into Kalim. Music is a very, very sophisticated language, but it's not a language that can be, can be, can be employed when you need to feed a hungry person bread. You can't, just can't do that. Why? Because music takes you out of the Kalim. Right? And here somebody needs a very practical, small, simple favor. Here the music becomes counterproductive. And that's what happens sometimes to spiritual artists. They're amazing. They're amazing for those who go out of the Kalim, but for those who are in Kalim and those who need that limited form of communication and energy connection, they can't deal with this. For them it's painful. This doesn't mean there's no place for the Levi. The Levi is a major part of Avodah Hashem. It's that yearning of the soul, Ka'ayal Tareg Alafike Moyim, it's the nigan of the Alter Rebbe. Ki ayol tara, you you hear the melody here. Ki ayol tara, galafike mayim, like a ram, like an ayol is. An ayol is one of those actually, I think those wild mountain goats that pines on the flash floods of water, streams of water. My soul yearns and pines to God. My soul thirsts. There's a thirst, and the levy. The levy sustains that thirst. The levy sustains that fire, that yearning, what we call rotsoi, the rotsoi. And the light that stays in the keli is very, very small. And you know what can happen? If all we get is that light, it's so condensed, it's so filtered, that actually there could be negative energy that comes from it. Negative energy could get a foot into the door through tzimtzum. Because whenever the energy is very, very restricted, it can also be distorted. It can be misconstrued. It can be used in different ways. That's why you'll see that sometimes great, great artists allow injustice in the world. They're good people, but they live in a higher plane. And they don't understand what it means to have boots on the ground and to stand up to injustice. You understand what I'm saying? They're holy, they're, they're, they're aloof, but they're aloof, they're sublime. And to fight injustice, you have to have boots on the ground. You have to be very practical. You have to be very concrete. Your artists have to be artists bekelim. Sometimes spiritual artists, they're great. They're great for a concert. <laughs> but the air in the keli is very small. There's no practical application. And therefore what happens is the parasites can come in. <laughs> the parasites come in. The infections come in. The bacteria, the fungi start feeding off off their energy in the Kalim. This is the Cyrus of the Levim. So they had to shave their hair. They had to shave their hair because the oil in the Kalim was so metzumtzum. So now to have a further tzimtzum, which is represented by the hair, would only feed the chitzainim. So you can't afford that tzimtzum, so they had to get rid of the Cyrus. It's a very, very subtle idea. Very subtle idea. This is the whole idea of Sichas Chulin. 
The Talmud Chacham Sichas Chulin is full of richness and depth. It's not Shtusim. But the not Talmud Chacham Sichas Chulin, the overflow they hear is Shtusim. Again, the marshal. Shloima Melech's marshal, Reb Meir's marshal is not Shtusim. On the contrary, it contains the depth of the idea. But somebody else's Mashalim are a waste of time, Advarim Betelim. From Atika Kadisha, the Cyrus, ah, they're so holy. There's no Yenike, and that's the hero of the Nazir. The hero of the Nazir has that Kedusha. It's the hero of the beard, it's the hero of the Payas. The Levium is the opposite. Here, the Cyrus represents such a symptom as we said before, for Malchus. Malchus is amazing divine energy, but it's condensed. It comes into the world. And to come into the world, it goes through a major, major symptom. So the here that comes from it has to be protected. The levy is the extreme, because the levy is soul is flying up. So the earth that remains in the keli is very, very small, very, very condensed. And therefore, from that level of oil, if you have here, it's going to be so condensed, so restricted, that the energy afterwards can be distorted. So the levy had to shave the hair, only in the desert, afterwards not. The Nazirs here, we learned earlier, is a reflection of Atika Kadisha. And the Cyrus of Atika Kadisha, not only, not only are they not capable of feeding the Chitzoyinim, on the contrary, the only way you can have a relationship with Atika Kadisha is through the Cyrus, because Atika Kadisha is ain't soif, and the only way ain't soif could communicate is through the symptom of the Cyrus. But that's Atika Kadisha. That's like the marshal of Shloima, the marshal of Rebmeir. But once the Ur goes through a major tzimtzum itself, so now a tzimtzum for the tzimtzum can create problems. You understand? A tzimtzum for Ein Soif, Gewaldek. <laughs> a tzimtzum for tzimtzum. Oh, now you lose the plot. Anoichi Haster Aster. <laughs> the Baal said, Anoichi Haster Aster. The Hester is also the Hester. The concealment is concealed. The fact that the light has to be concealed, of course. There's no Ein Soif. I can't communicate with Ein Soif without here. But when the Tzimtzum becomes a Tzimtzum, when the Hester becomes a Hester, when the cover-up becomes a cover-up, <laughs> when the cover-up becomes cover-up, now I don't know the difference of light and darkness. Now you lose the Edelkeit. Now the here can be something that can create distortion. And the Levi, the Levi's here in the Midbar, had to be shaved. The Nazir is not let it touches here because the whole Kedusha comes through the here because it's the Cyrus that are connected to Atik and that's the beard and the payas of a Jew, of a man, of a Jew. Atatofes. The Koyanim's avoider was not to go up, their avoider was to go down. So their oil was in the Kali. So there's no danger from the here of the Koyanim. The Levi's avoider was Kloisa Nefesh to go up so the oil that remains in the keli is very, very restricted. So to have further restrictions of that is going to compromise the light, and therefore they had to shave their hair. But the kayanim, their avoider was the exact opposite, to come into kela. So therefore their light was in the vessels, not up, not, not detached from the vessels. The Levim, they were the ones that were responsible for the music in the Beis HaMikdash. Music is the avoider of Hislavos, Klois HaNefesh, Lehistalek Min HaKli. That's music. All song is that. The Kayanim's Avaida was Hamshacha, to come into the Kaili. So therefore their Cyrus capture the energy. They don't further obscure the energy.
when the energy is already obscured, like it's by the Levium and the Kali, because the main energy is outside of the Kali. So in the Kali, the energy is obscured to obscure the obscured energy. Could become a f- source for Klippa. But to obscure divine intense energy, that's exactly what you need. So then the here could be holy. This will explain also why the Mitzayra has to shave. We explained in a previous mitzvah, a Mitzayra, a leper, this is going to be an incredible explanation now. What's tsaras? What are the symptoms of tsaras? Symptoms of tsaras is that <coughs> literally somebody has healthy skin and a white patch develops in a certain part of the skin. These are different shades of white. It could be white like snow, white like wool, white like the lime on the heichel of the Besamiktosh, the, the, the plaster they used for the walls of the heichel, or white even like the shell of an egg, krumbetza. But the here develops that whiteness, which represents uh, the first step. And then the here in that patch is transformed into white here. Or the patch grows. There's different symptoms, and that makes a person a Mitzayr, and they become Tameh. What does this represent spiritually? It represents that the natural color of the skin is substituted by a whiteness. And what this represents is that there's a certain flow of holy energy that comes through the body, and it departed, it left and instead, a leprosy takes over. And the leprosy represents what he calls dinim takifim. Dinim takifim means harsh judgment. And now, when there's white here, what happens? When there's white here, this means that the chitsainim, the klipois, are now receiving nurture from this person. And that's where there's tumma, there's impurity. And a person needs to reevaluate his life. So the tsaras represents that there's a certain energy of godliness that flows through the body, that departed, it ascended, it ascended to a higher space. Instead, there is a harshness in this person, dinim takifim, is a harshness. And whenever there's harshness, it's very easy for clippers to come and get their energy. And that's what the white hair represents. It's not the natural color of the hair that was there originally, it was transformed into white, which represents that there's a certain uh, deadness, a lack of vitality of the blood that comes from the blood, a lack of warmth, and that's the white here. Now, when a Mitzvah is impure, he's not allowed to shave the here in the leprosy. You're not allowed to. If 
It's forbidden. Let's say somebody develops symptoms of leprosy. You know what you can do? Just cut it off your body. Get it out. Get it out of your body. Cut off the hair. Cut out that part of the skin, maybe. Just get rid of it. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to cut the simonim of Tumah. Why? You cannot remove the nurture of the clipper by cutting off the sign of Tumah, from where they're getting their nurture. You're going to think, you think that by cutting it off, you're going to get rid of them. They're going to become stronger. Here's the rule in life, and you read it here first. You could do 10 books on psychology. Whatever you resist, whatever you resist, persists. <laughs> you think you're going to cut it off. You're going to get rid of it. No, no, it's going to get stronger. Hashem does not act like a tyrant with His creatures. He doesn't choke them. Just like Hashem gives Parnasa to all the holy forces, He also gives some energy to the Sitra Achira as much as they need until the end of days when they're going to be obliterated. And since Torah demands that they receive a certain form of nurture from your soul and from the garments of the ten spheres of God in which your soul is rooted, so this Mitzayra cannot take away their nurture without justification. If you're going to cut off the simon of Tumah, they can become much more powerful. Al nafshay on the soul. By giving them what they need, they don't have to grab more. When you stop giving them what they need, when you choke them, when you take the ear away from them, when you want to suppress them and repress them, you know what happens? They come back with a vengeance. What does this mean? This has a tremendous ramifications in life. Whatever is coming up in my system is there for a reason. If I deny it, if I delegitimize it, if I make believe it doesn't exist, if I just cut it out of my life, I'm not getting rid of it. I think I'm getting rid of it. No, it's there. It has its space. It needs its space. There's a reason it's there. It's an alarm clock. It's a wake-up call. It's a symptom of something dysfunctional. By cutting off the negoyim of your skin, you're not getting rid of it. (laughs) You're only causing it to come back in a way that you're unaware of it. So it's going to leak from your subconscious self and it's going to contaminate your entire life, not just one part of your life. You have to let it breathe. What this means emotionally is incredible. Don't be afraid of any emotion that comes up inside of you. Contain it. Have compassion for it. Have empathy for it. Don't just cut it out of your life and say, you're not going to come to my body. Arise, shake it, arise. It's not going to happen. God feeds everybody. God feeds everything. If it's alive, it's alive because it needs a certain part of your soul. You need to work it through. You can't just get rid of it. This, this is what the Tzemach Tzedek is teaching us here. The Zoyar says, the goat 
the scapegoat that was sent to the Azazel mountain, and Egla Rufa, the calf that's decapitated after you find a Jew slain in the woods and you don't know who killed him. The Zoya says these were all gifts to the Sitra Achera. This goat and this calf is a gift to the Sitra Achera. Why are you giving a gift to the Sitra Achera? The answer is, you have to acknowledge the existence of Sitra Achera in your life. If you don't acknowledge it and you deny it, you're just going to cause them to become stronger. Because if they don't get the meal that they deserve, they're going to grab all the food. They're going to contaminate all parts of you. They're going to leak into the functional parts of yourself as well. We all have to deal with stuff. Don't be afraid. Don't deny it. Don't repress it. Don't suppress it. Don't bury it. Don't forcibly extricate these things from your life. You need to feed them. How do you feed them? Feed them doesn't mean you sell your soul. Feed them means you acknowledge, you empathize with compassion, without judgmentalism, without the need to deny, to repress, to make believe it doesn't exist. You have to realize that there's a certain energy they're feeding off. And until the right time is not here, you can't just throw it away. The, the, the richness here. That's why the words of the Torah is be very careful not to cut off the negatzeras. Why be very careful? It's about security. Because if you cut it off, it's going to endanger you because they're going to come back with more power. Whatever we repress is not gone. It just leaks out with more ferocious power in a way that we can't control it. What you resist persists. What you don't resist could slowly, slowly heal. The way to remove the nurture of Sitrachra from my life is through tshuva, through introspection, through healing, through repair, through tikkun, through understanding what's going on. Then you'll bring back the awareness of And he will be able to remove the externalities through a koyin, as explained in a previous mitzvah. When you return to Hashem and you become healed based on Torah, not based on my own intuitive feeling that I want to destroy all parts of my life. And now the chitzayinim are not getting nurture. Now you shave your hair. Afterwards, while the Mitzvah has symptoms, he's not allowed to shave his hair. Afterwards, he does have to. Even though he's pure. The hair, which represents the overflow of his moichin, the external forces can grab onto it. Because they represent harsh judgment. And whenever you're harsh... Even if your harshness is coming from an idealistic place, it can cause tremendous pain. Because he went through this taras, so therefore the here still has a very, very small level of light. It doesn't have the full flow of the higher holiness from where holy garments come. And that's the holy here. And therefore... 
the Cyrus, which represents a very, which represents a very restricted form of holiness, the Chitzonim can grab on, and therefore you shave them. Once the Mitzvah goes through this stage, and now the holiness can flow through him, now you don't cut your hair. Because from the hair of the payas and the beard, on the contrary, they capture the holy garments. It's like the holy marshal. It's like the holy siches chulin of the Talmud Chacham. So again, while the Mitzayr is going through the tzaraz, now the klippis are actively getting their nurture. You can't just artificially make believe they don't exist. You have to deal with them. That's what shuva is. That's what healing is. Once you heal and you become tahir, now the Mitzayr has to shave. Why? Because... Since the light is very, very restricted in him, the light is very restricted, so therefore you don't want, there should be room for more distortions, which is what here represents an extra tzimtzum, so you shave the hair. Once the Mitzvah goes through that stage and goes back to his primal state of holiness and divine consciousness, now the hair of the payas and the beard becomes a manifestation for divine holiness. And therefore, on the contrary, even though as a Mitzayra, when he became pure, he shaved his beard, he shaved his payas, he shaved all the hair on his head, like the Levium in the desert. Now you leave your beard, you leave your payas. The payas and the beard capture a tremendous, tremendous holiness. All of this becomes the source to be able to understand the paradoxes of hair. The hair of the Nazir, the hair of the Levi, the hair of the leper. And... Finally, as we will discuss in next week's, in next class, the hair of the woman. Explaining why the married woman halachically covers her hair. She doesn't have to shave her hair, but she covers her hair. As we will see, Be'ezer Hashem in the next class, which will resume Monday morning, 7.30 a.m. Plinader. Wishing you all a wonderful day. It's clear? You want to ask questions? Okay, some of the comments. Somebody wrote, taking Tylenol for a fever won't get rid of the illness. It just removes the symptoms. Yeah, one second. Taking Tylenol for a fever won't get rid of the illness. It may remove some of the symptoms. So that's very important in life, that whatever you resist persists. Because as long as I'm not dealing with the core issue, just denying it is not going to make it go away. So you can't just cut off the simonim of tzaras. There's something dysfunctional happening in my life. My skin is expressing it. My hair is expressing it. I cannot just make believe it doesn't exist by forcibly cutting it out. What do this mean psychologically? Sometimes I'm uncomfortable with an emotion. I'm uncomfortable with something happening inside of me. So what do I do? I say, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. I'm not feeling this way. What happens? It doesn't go away. It just goes into hiding. Okay, you don't want me to be on the surface? I won't be on the surface. I'm going to go beneath the surface and I'm going to come out in many other ways, but in ways that you won't be aware of. And suddenly so many other parts of your life get contaminated. That's called strengthening the chitzoinim, the external superficial toxicity in my life. That's called chitzoinim becomes now strengthened and more more intensified. There's an unbelievable idea. You have to gift 
the Sitra Akhira with the goat and with the Egla Rufa. These are certain gifts. Not because we want to surrender our soul, not because we want Klipa to exist, but because we acknowledge with compassion and empathy that we still live in an incomplete world, that we still live in an incomplete psyche, that this is part of our journey, that all of the toxicity is not just there by mistake, it's feeding off something. And it's an opportunity to heal, it's an opportunity, that's what tshuva is, tshuva is healing, tshuva is introspection, tshuva is repair. It's an opportunity to tell you what is going on when you're experiencing negative, negative emotions. Don't make believe they don't exist. Be curious, be inquisitive, and find out, what are they teaching me about me? What do I have to work on? They're feeding off something. They're feeding off. Somebody is feeding them. I am feeding them. My soul is feeding them, which is part of my journey. And now let me find out what I'm feeding, how I'm feeding, and can I work with it to the point that they don't need to take, they don't need to get this food anymore. Because if they don't need to get this food anymore, then they won't get this food anymore. And that's the process of a kayin, and that's the process of tshuva. And then you become pure, and then you shave your hair. Before that, you can't shave your hair. Before that, you're shaving your hair is a form of repression. Afterwards, shaving the hair is a form of protection. You understand the difference between repression and protection? Very important difference. There's repression and there's protection. There's boundaries that are healthy, and then there is denying what is really going on in you. Repression or resistance is not acknowledging what's going on. Boundaries is I know exactly what's going on, and I'm creating the proper boundaries so that I could remain safe. The Mitzvah has to shave his hair later when he becomes pure to create boundaries not to allow the sirois to misconstrue the energy, because the energy is in a very vulnerable, small state, so you can't obscure it even further. It's like sometimes when you're giving a shear, giving a muscle is counterproductive, because people are going to get the wrong message. (laughs) I once gave a lecture in Virginia about Simpson. It was a two-hour lecture. And I started off with a joke to explain it. At the end, somebody comes over to me and says, that joke was a good joke. I'm like, okay, thank you for the compliment. After two hours, he compliments me for the joke. So sometimes saying a joke is actually, it's the wrong thing. You know, sometimes people get up at a chuppah and they just say joke after joke after joke and you're like, they're just so obscuring the energy. A chassan is marrying a kala. It's a holy moment. Don't make it cheap. Jokes are amazing in the right context. You know when you're in a real intimate conversation with somebody and they're pouring out your heart and you start making jokes? What is it? You say, what's wrong? Rabbi used to make a milsa de No, 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 no. Rabbi's milsa de was a conveyor for authentic energy. Your jokes are a distraction for authentic energy. You're not comfortable. You're awkward. You're not being open to the moment. You understand? Sometimes a tzimtzum is beautiful. It allows people to experience the energy. But sometimes a tzimtzum is the ultimate tzimtzum. Sometimes when the tzimtzum is mitzumtzum, the tzimtzum is counterproductive. When the tzimtzum is a channel, the tzimtzum is amazing. When the here is a channel, gewaldic, Wow. When the here becomes itself an obstruction, so you have to protect it. You have to know what it is. And now to obstruct that becomes a double obstruction. When somebody's having a real intimate conversation with you, you start making jokes. 
those jokes are really, 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 they're not on target. They're off color, as we say. They're just inappropriate. Why? Why? It's good. You're conveying a message. You're not conveying a message. You're running away from a message. You're running away from a message. You're in a very small space. You're not capable of a real conversation. So you're running away through these tzimtzumim. Don't go there now. That tzimtzum is fake. There's a tzimtzum that's real. There's a tzimtzum that's fake. When the tzimtzum is real and good and productive, that's the holy here. And when the tzimtzum becomes an obstruction of truth, now you have to be very careful with the tzimtzum. And these are deep concepts, and I know these are new concepts. We haven't learned them before. It's the first time we learned them. So I know that it's new even for people who have been here for quite a few years. This is something you need to learn and study and study again and study again and study yet again. <laughs> like, if you didn't understand all the details, that's fine. This finishes the first chapter of the Mimer. You have a few days now. Till Monday, you could learn again the first few pages of this Mimer because we still have to explain the aspect of woman's here. That's going to be next class. And the Tzamech Tzedek then goes in to the whole realm of Parnosa, how people make a living and how people support their families and different attitudes and the balance between being responsible and living a life of oneness and divine consciousness and serenity. In the meantime, I wish you all a beautiful and meaningful and inspiring day. By the way, I just want to say, very often people think that the idea of not repressing your emotions and running away from yourself is a new psychological phenomenon, you know, pop psychology, and it's, you know, the liberalism of 2022. But here you have the Tzemach Tzedek writing a mimer in the early in the late 1700s or early 1800s. <laughs> and he's basically explaining that the way to deal with Klippa and Sitra is not just cutting, c- cut, cutting it out of your life, making believe it doesn't exist because it's getting you, making you uncomfortable. And what's going to happen when you do that is it's going to come back stronger. That's such a powerful, powerful concept. It, it teaches us how we really have to be honest and authentic and deal with every part of ourselves and not be afraid and have the courage to contain it. And on the contrary, by doing that, you can actually heal. You can actually allow the chitzayinim to relax and not to have to get nurture from you because you fix what has to be fixed. And once you fix what has to be fixed, the sitra akhira falls away because it exists only because I'm giving it nurture based on where I am in life. And that's part of the system that God created. And only when I really, really um, work those things out in myself could they ultimately you know, cease to have that reality, to have that uh, existence in my life. I just want to clarify that. Well, everything can be used, but that's the point. That symptom is productive when it's a channel for ener- for good energy. When it becomes a distraction for energy, it can be misconstrued. That's what it means. It's misconstrued. It becomes a distraction. It takes me away from truth. Again, it's like, you know, when somebody gets up and starts saying vulgar jokes and it's not funny anymore. You know what I mean? Oh, Rabbis said jokes. No, 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 no. Don't compare. You know, when you sometimes use humor 
I don't know if you know what I mean. Like sometimes in conversations that are very real and somebody starts using humor, it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, there's a time for humor. There's a time for humor. No question. <laughs> you don't have to preach that to me. I know that. <laughs> but there's also a time for no humor. It's like you have to know when when humor is capturing a truth. In other words, if, if I'm standing in front of a crowd and everybody is uptight and intense and they don't know if I'm normal or crazy and I crack a joke, right? It's the best thing I can do. <laughs> It brings me down. It makes me human. I'm vulnerable. I could laugh about the same things you laugh. But if we're in the moment of a very profound exchange that's intimate and heart-wrenching, it's like, what are you doing? You're just escaping into an inauthentic world. So when symptom is a channel for energy, it's very, very powerful extremely powerful. On the contrary, it's the way to communicate energy and that's the muscle of Shloyma and Reb Meir and that's and that's the hair of Atik and that's the payas and that's the beard. Why did the Levim have to cut their hair? They were singing to, to Shem. They were uh, going, Ruchnius, Ruchnius. Because the Levim departed from the Kalim. Their avoider was to ascend the Kali. And the, the light in the vessel remained very, very restricted. So if that light goes through another tzimtzum, it could become misused. I'll give you an example. Okay? How could it become misused? The Levim were in the Mishkan, they were in the base of Megdash, how could it get... Uh, because, because their connection was through transcending the vessels. So in terms of what was left in the container, it was a very miniature form of energy. An example would be, let's say parents have a father or a mother or somebody in there, let's say a father, right, who's, who's celebrated by the world and is really a great tzaddik and a great Talmud Chacham, but they don't have a father because he's so, he's so big and he's so holy and, and, and he's there for the whole world and he's, he's, He's completely not uh, limited to his household. It's beautiful for everybody else, but it's painful for his children. Why is it painful for his children? Because children need a father who's small, who's simple. right? A father who could sit down on the floor and forget about the world and just connect with his children in a very small, simple, humble way. That's called going into Kalim. So sometimes the great light, it's amazing when you're up there. But for people who need the small light, they need the keli. The levi was that spiritual artist in the desert who was outside of the keli. And the light of the keli was very, very small. And from there, if that light is obscured further, if that light goes to its symptom, it can be completely compromised and sometimes misconstrued and misunderstood. It's all a marshal. The Kainim and Levim is a marshal. Of course, it's a balance. We want to go out of Kalim, but we also have to come back into Kalim. Yin and Yang, Ratzay and Shaif. Transcendence and imminence. So our lives are mostly in the middle somewhere. Some of us need to go out of Kalim more. (laughs) Some of us need to go back into Kalim more. (laughs) Like you and me.
Purim we spoke about breaking the keli, you remember? You gotta break the keli. You gotta go out of the keli. You gotta break the keli under the chuppah. But then you have to go back into the keli. Right? The acronym of Adalayada is Yada. Ad Dilayada is Ayin Dalid Yud is Yada. Because <laughs> the Adalayada gotta go into Yada. And then the here becomes amazing because the here becomes a channel. Did you say artists have big iris and small kalim? Usually. The... Very often. Very often. Real businessmen have big kalim because that's what business is like. Bottom line, bottom line, the market, what do people want? Artists, it's about self-expression. Right, the hardest thing for artists is dealing with editors, dealing with marketing. <laughs> Van Gogh, I don't know how, he, he died, I think a broke man. <laughs> they sit in their basement and they draw art. <laughs> and it's amazing for themselves. My father, Allah was an editor of a Yiddish newspaper. He had a lot of great Yiddish writers. The problem is, an article needs a limit of words, right? But these writers wanted to express themselves. So you give in an article with 6,000 words, but you only have a place for 1,000 words. So my father was the editor. And the day later, I remember he would be on the phone comforting all these artists who felt that he killed them. Murder would have been better. He killed them. He destroyed their creativity. In Yiddish, there's an expression: "A schreiber starb nicht von Herzfällen, er starb von Druckfällen." I don't know how you do that, but a writer doesn't die from heart failure. He dies from the mistakes on the printing press. In other words, he dies from his article being uh, botched up. Right, kill your darling. So now you have editors and you have editors. You have editors who don't know what they're doing. So they take your article and they destroy it. They take the soul out of it. You have real editors. What do they do? They make it palpable. It's called symptom. They channel it. They, they cut it. They, 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 they put it in a frame that people can eat it, that people can digest it. <laughs> because if it's just infinite expression, it's beautiful, but nobody's going to get anything out of it. You need to come down. That's called Caleb. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.